Welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 174th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 628th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, and for me, I'm going to start with uh, something on Race Thompson, who will actually be the main focus uh, in the middle of the show, but uh, we'll we'll give him headlines here for a different reason. Uh, Race was one of seven Hoosiers named to the Big Ten's new anti-hate and anti-racism coalition uh, that was set up and announced this week by Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. Uh, among the quotes that was in the, the release about this, uh, Warren said, we have the distinct opportunity and responsibility through our coalition to continually encourage, educate, and empower our student athletes as we embrace transparent and much needed dialogue regarding meaningful issues that have impacted race relations for many years. And and the Big Ten, I think, for as many things as we've been able to criticize them for over the years, I think has really handled everything going on now uh, as well as any league in the country. Uh, and, I, and I'm really proud of what they've done with getting people from every school to be part of this. And, and race, as everyone will probably remember, when the team put out their statement uh, on everything that was going on in the country, race was the guy who talked first, uh, talked about being at the protests in Minneapolis, the one that a, a a truck drove into. Um, but clearly that's something that is, uh, important to him and important to his family because his dad, Daryl, uh, helped organize at least one, uh, I think multiple, uh, protests in the Minneapolis area. And so, uh, I think good for, for race to, uh, be included in this good for him to already show his, uh, awareness and, and passion about these issues. Uh, and I think as we you know, look at the bigger picture of you know that that quote I read talked about student athletes and um, you know what the college experience is all supposed to be about. I think this is another way above and beyond athletics that uh, can be something that's really important for race as he moves forward, uh, and and really for the league as a whole. So um, I'm interested to see uh, what they what they do with this and what action comes uh, of this anti hate and anti racism coalition, but. Uh, Kudos to the Big Ten for uh, putting this together, and uh, congrats to Race for being one of the guys who was named to be on it. And with that, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach, and it's not Sony time. Coach, what's on your mind this week? Well, to, to piggyback on on your banner moment, uh, kudos to Indiana for renaming the Intramural Center after Bill Garrett. Um, uh, we had a show a couple weeks ago where Bill Murphy talked about uh, his importance to Indiana basketball. It's nice to see uh, Bill get recognized and, and his family to be recognized for his contributions to Indiana University and to Indiana University basketball. And then obviously voluntary workouts uh, started today. It was nice. Uh, one of the things I do like to see video clips of is the weight room being opened up and <laughs> unlocked by Cliff Marshall and getting everyone in and getting their bodies back into some sort of a routine because if there is going to be a season, and we're really hoping that there will be one, you, you missed out in some on some workouts and, and things and getting the body right in order to go to July when the NCAA is now going to let a, let the, the team have some formal workouts. Uh, you need to get ready, and I'm sure Cliff Marshall uh, will do the job. And it's just nice to see 
something coming back in Indiana basketball, and that that door opening up to the weight room was uh, really good to see. Yeah, agreed. I'm glad to also to see that Cliff Marshall has found the uh, the sweet spot of getting uh, getting coached to get excited about these social media posts. So good for good for him. Kudos to uh, kudos to Cliff for that. Uh, and then to my right. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle he hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the. Well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. This is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant on the last week in IU Hoops? Man, it's tough. It's It's been a little bit of time since I've been on here, and, and there hasn't been a ton of news. Uh, but I, th- I think that Coach kind of stole my thunder a little bit that I was going to talk about Cliff Marshall opening the weight room. I think that I, so it's good, Coach. We're on the same page. Uh, I I think that's that's a great thing to see. Obviously, as long as everyone's being safe and smart, as we've seen throughout the country, things are kind of ramping back up again, which is uh, a good thing. You're seeing like businesses open and things like that, but at the same time, you're seeing you know virus cases tick back up. So I just want to make sure that everybody at IU is being safe and, and smart and. I think, you know, we've already seen that they have a ton of protocols in place, which is good. Um, I just, you know, look, I, I really want basketball to, to start up this fall. I think everybody does. It's just uh, uh, it, it's tough to see, you know, the way the direction some of this stuff is going. So hopefully that continues to be, you know, as far as athletics goes, we continue to hear good news. Uh, and also, I think that you're right, Amy, the, the news that race uh, was put on that board that the Big Ten committee is is a huge deal and and I think that you know especially it's you know it's not like he's a guy who has starred as an All Big Ten player and they put and they put him on because he's a name he's a guy who a lot of people don't know who he is and so I think it's a good chance for him to sort of distinguish himself uh, entering what is going to be a huge year for him that we're going to talk about tonight. All right, so with that, uh, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We've got a few College Hoops headlines, not too many. Uh, The bulk of the show will be uh, on our Race Thompson player preview. Want to make sure we did that while Ryan was here as president of the the Race Thompson fan club. So a few different angles to to hit with race. It's it's unofficial. I haven't declared myself the president of that. It's unofficial. Uh, I I feel like we all know the way the winds are blowing. (laughs) I feel like it's official. Uh, And then we've got a handful of questions uh, from you, so we'll hit all that uh, this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to all that, a few quick announcements. Uh, first, please continue to support our fields at or our friends at Home Field. Uh, so you can go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 at checkout to save 20% off your order. Uh, I know they've got a, a lot of great things going on there, uh, so make sure you check that out. Uh, they just had a flash sale earlier this week. I was... Uh, I was not. I was forbidden based on the number of other things that I've bought from there recently. I got. I saw it come through in my. You're an email. addict. Bob. I was like, you're an addict. I was you like, oh, mention. I was like, oh, Homefield's having a flash sale, and, and I, my wife was like, do you really need? Uh, that was on the heels of I think one of the weeks before. Um, my older daughter was like, are you going to wear a Homefield shirt every day of the week? And I was like, well, I came pretty close. I, uh, I picked up a couple others, so you know. Anyway. So uh, outfit yourself for the summer, uh, homefieldapparel.com, uh, assembly 20 is the promo code. So, uh, with that guys, uh, headlines. So tonight, uh, earlier, uh, Trey Patterson committed to Villanova. I don't think that was really a surprise based on any of the things that I had looked at. Um, so in that regard, it was nice to be, uh, in his, his final three, but I don't know that anybody really had, uh, great designs on, on him coming to IU. I guess, Ryan, uh, with that as backdrop, you know, how much, 
does this really shift uh, IU's focus? It was already pretty heavy on Trey Kaufman. Uh, they've been talking about Mason Miller, uh, Mike Miller's son, uh, potentially being interested there. Does this really just focus that much more attention on those guys? Or, or what, do you, what do you think kind of the next dominoes are uh, with that commitment tonight? Yeah, I think I think it does, and and I think that the the guy they're looking for is Drake Hoffman. I mean, I think that that's you know he's the guy that everybody's kind of aiming towards. That's going to determine this uh, recruiting class a little bit, and and uh, I I really think that that it, it, I don't think that's changed with Trey Patterson committee. I think that, that, that Trey Hoffman was always the guy that everybody was looking at and trying to see, you know, would he be the guy to. Uh, would he be the next domino to fall? Obviously, you got Logan Duncan in there, and I think that was quicker than some people expected. And Trey Coffin's taking a little bit longer, um, but if you look at the way things are trending, I, I think that Indiana's in a really good position. But the longer it goes, the you know more worrisome it becomes uh, because somebody else could sneak in there. And and I think that Indiana's in a good place, but you never know. Um, and, and I do think there's some interesting developments with Mason Miller. And a lot of people are saying that Indiana is trending really well for him, especially after his, uh, his dad is no longer an assistant at, at Memphis where everyone thought he was going to go. So it's, we'll see where it goes, but, but I, I don't think there's any reason those two guys couldn't play on the floor at the same time. So I don't think that it's, if you get one, you don't get the other, but I, I do think it's interesting that maybe, Indiana's ramping up its pursuit of, of Mason Miller to sort of push Trey Kaufman to make a decision. That happens a lot in recruiting. It's, hey, if you don't come, we've got this guy. So, you know, you got to make a decision. But um, I'm not saying that's happening, but I, I just, you know, maybe that's part of it because uh, Trey Kaufman is taking a while to make the decision. And, and people thought that he would be at the beginning of the summer would make his decision or, or in the spring at some point. And, and he hasn't yet. There's no indication he's going to make it anytime soon. But again, coronavirus has thrown all of this off. So we don't really know what's going on there. Yeah, I agreed. And, and those are really the forward targets uh, from a guard perspective. You still got Blake Wesley, Aminu Muhammad. Uh, those are kind of the names to know uh, on that front. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. Uh, I think it was on podcast on the brink when Alex talked to, to Corey Evans from, um, from rivals and, and, you know, how he had kind of said, you know, with some guys, this ramps it up because they're just kind of tired of the process. You can't look at stuff. Some people, it drags it out a little bit more because you can't do um, all the, you know, kind of normal recruiting things that you'd want to do as a, as a potential recruit. So it's kind of an odd, odd mix there of how the situation is, is uh, leading to that. Uh, another one, just some clarity on a, on something we mentioned last week, uh, talked about a potential big man recruit reclassifying Brandon Lieb, I think is how, uh, you say this, um, doesn't seem to be an indication at this point that IU has, or even, or, you know, hasn't yet offered a scholarship. They may not, um, something to keep an eye on just another, I guess, name to watch, but, uh, didn't seem like a whole lot there. And then uh, the other was really the NCAA overall plan for summer activities. Uh, beginning July 20th, required summer athletics activities may begin and can last up to eight weeks or until the school's first day of classes uh, or September 15th, whichever is earlier. Uh, required virtual non-physical activities can continue to be conducted during this period. Virtual and in-person activities cannot exceed a combined eight hours per week. Uh, and then the note that, uh, as you guys had already mentioned, uh, I use men's basketball players to be allowed to begin voluntary workouts, uh, on Thursday, June 18th, which is today. Um, so 
you know, Ryan, we, we talked a little bit about this before we, we got on. Um, you had just written something for the big lead on Texas where today they had a number of players, uh, I think 10 or maybe it was 13, um, test positive for the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, none of that's happened yet at IU. We hope that it doesn't. Um, but I think some of the underlying things that we talked about a little bit before we, we came on are probably, uh, probably pertinent here. So didn't know if you wanted to share anything that you had, you know, kind of gathered as you put that together. Yeah, I, I just wrote that, look, if they want to have football, I think football is going to be harder to contain than anything else. Basketball, you can kind of, it's a smaller roster. You can kind of keep everyone isolated. Uh, football, you know, especially college football, you got 100 guys on the roster. And for, you know, the NFL, it's it's 53 plus support staff and all that other stuff. So it gets up around 70 something if you include practice squad and all that. That's a lot of people to keep contained and, and keep, you know, uh, healthy and keep tested and all that. And I, I just said that if, if the NFL and the NCAA want to have football this, this fall, and a lot of people do want them to have football, they're just going to have to accept the fact that there's going to be a lot of positive tests because if one guy gets it, you're going to see a lot of guys get it. If, if one offensive lineman gets it with the amount of time that those guys spend in a room together and spend working out together and spend next to each other in practice and spend on the field together, everybody's probably going to get it. And so the NFL and the NCAA, if they're approaching this as if they're definitely going to have football and that's what they're doing, they all, they need to prepare themselves and prepare the public for the fact that a lot of guys are going to test positive. And this just, if they're going to treat it just like an ankle injury where, yep, he tested positive. He's going to be out two weeks. He'll be back after that. You know, I mean, they need to approach it in a way that confirms that that's going to happen because it is. And and I think you're going to see kids in, in, in every sport test positive for this. And, just the way it's going. And, and we either need to decide sort of as a society and them as an organization, uh, speaking of the NCA right now, if that's okay. And if it is, then we need to treat it like, Oh, well, he tested positive. He'll be out a couple of weeks, you know, and, and, and move on. Or it's going to be, you know, more guys tested positive. They should shut this down because it's going to spread really quickly. I mean, we need to decide which way we're going to go on this and, and how we're going to approach it. And frankly, leadership from those organizations of how they're going to approach it would help. And they don't, re- they sort of almost seem to be ignoring the fact that it's going to get worse as they bring more people back. I mean, with Texas, 13 guys tested positive and only 58 were on campus. That's an insanely high percentage. So, I mean, again, need to prepare for this. This is going to happen. And it was shocking when Texas released that report. They're going to be more like it coming right after. So I, I just think that the, the NCAA, the NFL, all these sports groups need to be prepared for the tidal wave that's coming because it'll happen. Yeah, and the interesting thing from a coaching perspective is how do you run your program? Whether it's football, basketball, the summer in the off season is really a good time to get in and work individually, work in small groups, uh, and th- those are limited. And if you have some new uh, situations as far as what you can do and what you can't do, that's going to be interesting coming uh, up in July for basketball purposes uh, when they can have their formal formal workouts. And, and it's just it's a it's a time to fix the fundamentals, whether it be shooting, ball handling, defense, whatever. Get some team stuff done, and it's just an important part i'm sure that's the same for football and and all the other sports as well that uh it's just going to be interesting to see how uh how formal and and how much these things uh can play to the advantage of the teams like it would be as a a normal summer and it's just not going to be normal but 
the NCA coming out and allowing coaches to work and possibly allowing coaches to go see some recruits in August. Uh, again, I always operate, if it's safe, let's go do it and get back to normal as, as much as possible. But uh, the summer uh, is when you make yourself as a player uh, basketball-wise. And uh, I, I always wondered if, if Cook Hall was open. Uh, it seemed like that sign today from Coach Marshall is that the building was off limits. Uh, when is the building open for players just to come in on their own uh, and put up shots? Uh, is that part of the involuntary or the voluntary stuff, formal stuff? It'll be interesting to see as that comes out. But again, keep safety in mind. But boy, it'd be, it sure would be nice to be able to do both. Be as safe as we can as a society and get sports back because it's it's such a um, a big part of all of us, uh, and especially Indiana with uh, with the football season the way it's supposed to be, and then basketball, the excitement in both sports. Yep. All right. Well, coming up, we are going to look ahead to Race Thompson's junior season. His career at IU has been marred by frustrating injury issues, but the Hoosiers' best stretches of play have often come with him on the floor. So what can we expect next season? We'll discuss it next. Stick with us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. What's going on? It's Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. All right. Thank you, Christian. Welcome back to the assembly call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the between segment banter, then check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach Brian Tonsoni. And it is now time to uh, continue with our player preview uh, series. And uh, up next is race Thompson. So uh, race, I think everybody was excited about already. Um, but the departure of Justin Smith has, has put races at least potential role, uh, in a different light, uh, with that. And so, you know, coach put together a few numbers overall in the season. He averaged a little bit over 13 minutes a game, but he did play over 20 minutes in six of the last 10, uh, following that Michigan state injury, uh, where he, he took a hard fall and, uh, injured his back. So I think that at least maybe during that stretch is a little bit of a, a taste of what we might be able to, to get from him. So I guess that's maybe the, the, the best place to start just in terms of, you know, what, what his minutes ascend to this year. Now we'll talk the injury stuff in a little bit, but um, coach, I'll, I'll throw this to you first. Cause I know you had, this has been a few weeks ago, you had put together a, a, a spreadsheet just to kind of play with some different lineup combinations and things like that. So as you try to project, minutes across this team uh, and for race in particular, how does he kind of shake out? Where do you think that the sweet spot is with playing time for him? You know, I, I'm going to say in, in the low twenties to 22 to 26 minutes, depending on, on health and, and matchups, 
uh, because in looking at uh, the minutes today, he played in, in 20 or more minutes, six games, and a couple of them were high teens, 17, 18. So he was getting more run towards the end of the season. I thought Indiana was playing its better basketball. It didn't necessarily mean they won every game, uh, but the losses were close. They were very a lot more competitive in their last 10 games than they had in, in a, a stretch of losses in, in midseason. And I thought race was a big part of that. And, and then when you take Justin Smith's minutes out and you're looking at uh, you know a four or five rotation of maybe three players right now that you know of, and then is a is a, a wing going to step down and play some four like a Jerome or Geronimo or someone? Uh, you you got a three man rotation right now until we see how it plays out. I think those minutes are going to go up. So he averaged thirteen point eight minutes. Uh, I see that's going to be over twenty just because the minutes are available, but also because I think he's going to be a key part of Indiana's success. And it might not be statistics. It might not be double digit points. Uh, he, I think his points will go up. Uh, as he's more aggressive, I think his rebounds will go up, but he just seems to be a glue guy, an energy guy, throw out whatever cliche you want, that uh, Indiana just seemed to flow better uh, in everything they tried to do offensively and defensively when he was on the floor, which left a lot of us wanting more race, more race, and more race, even before those last 10 games. So, you know, uh, 22 to 26 minutes, depending <laughs> on, you know, what what the flow of the game and his health um but I think his health has been more just, you know, some bad luck of of, of a bad fall and, and then a couple bad falls uh, in e- each year. And uh, is that something that's going to happen to him a lot because the way he plays? Maybe. Uh, I don't know that he's injury prone, just uh, had a couple bad, bad situations. But I look for a lot of good things and a lot of improvement from him uh, and a big cog in next year's Indiana basketball season. Yeah, so yeah, Ryan, you know what? what's, what's your what's – your, where do you come down on the, the injury thing? Because I think that's really – while I don't think he's a 30 minute a game guy really probably under no matter how things shake out um, just because you got Brunk and, and TJD up there, but the injury stuff is really what could swing that number a lot lower um, if you think about yeah. it that way. So I mean, where do you fall on that? The whole idea that some guys are injury prone, whether that applies to him or not. Um, I don't know what are your thoughts on that. These aren't a bunch of muscle pulls. You know what I mean? Like a guy pulls a muscle a bunch. You're like, well, maybe he's working out too much and, and or maybe his muscles just can't take the beating or he's not hydrating or, or whatever. There, you know, there's always some some possible underlying issues there. He had a concussion where he slammed his head into the, you know, into something into the I think it was the court. That was a, a practice thing. I remember that. And it was a severe concussion that really bothered him for a while. And then the other time he went up aggressively, got undercut accidentally. It wasn't on purpose and slammed his back down and had a, had a lower back problem for a couple of games. Those are two impact injuries. And maybe it is the way he plays, but they're kind of freak things. This isn't, you know, running down the court normally and he just his ACL blows up. I mean, this is this was something that was, you know, an impact injury. And so I think those are kind of uh, chancy. They just happen. And, and I don't think it's it's a consistent necessarily problem. Now, if something happens again this year, you think maybe, you know, rain in the way you play a little bit or you're never going to be on the floor anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But two years in a row, he's had that kind of a, a contact injury. Um, what I would say about him is is what was funny and, and kind of sad about that, that Michigan State game where he got injured was you look at the numbers for that game, you're like, yeah, four points, four rebounds. But he did that in 11 minutes. He also had two steals, two blocks, and an assist. I mean, he was starting to play so well in that game and then, of course, had the injury and sat out a bit. Um, I think he's a guy who 
who can take that, you know, look at how big he is. And I remember the first time we went to to Assembly Hall uh, when he was on the team, he was redshirting and, and he walked right by us. And Jared just looked at me. He's like, race is huge. And he is. He's a big guy. And he doesn't necessarily show you don't. We haven't seen him a whole lot. So it doesn't really show up. Uh, as much, but he's a big dude. He can take a beating. And we saw last year, you know, he got fouled some, he fouled guys. He was, you know, he took on bigger players and, and, and succeeded. And, and so I think that he's a guy who can take a beating and, and play through it. It's just the two injuries he had were kind of freak things. You slam your back on the floor. I don't care who you are. You're going to be injured from that. And he had a really bad concussion and the course they were going to be, you know, safe with that. So I'm not too worried about it, um, but we'll see what happens this year. I mean, something may happen in a few months and it may change my mind. on it. Yeah. So let's, I'm going to kind of break the the statistical discussion of him into a couple pieces. The first is the, here's what you know that you're going to get from him. So, you know, coach, you talked about this from a, you know, a guy really playing a role, glue guy role. Um, and, and interestingly enough, uh, the way that on Ken Palm, they, they bucket out players based on percentage of possessions used, you know, he falls under the limited roles one just because he doesn't use a ton of possessions. But if you look at the the rebounding and defensive numbers, which I think is what we all would view as the baseline for what he's going to bring to the table, his offensive rebounding percentage was 10.7, which puts him uh, on the team second behind uh, TJD, who is 11.8%, which was good for 102nd nationally. He raced and played enough minutes to qualify, but uh, between him and Joey, who is at uh, just under 10 and then defensive rebounding wise, races was actually the best on the team. He was twenty two point one percent. Trace was next with twenty twenty one, uh, which ranked him one hundred eighty six. So again, just to kind of give some kind of feel for where race would would slot in. Block rate five point five was second again second on the team behind TJD. Uh, and then steals was actually two point nine percent steal rate was the best on the team. Um, Rob Finnessy was the the one who was behind him. So I think those are the things that you feel really good about from a synergy perspective. His overall defensive numbers uh, put him in the ninety fourth percentile. Uh, I, I you know some of the you know breakdowns of that I don't know are kind of hard to to read much into from a yeah. defensive perspective. But um, you know grades out by really any measure really well in those areas. Um, so I think those are, and you can guard multiple positions, which helps you so much. Yeah, I think, so I think that helps. So, so to me, I think if you're penciling things in, in terms of like what, you know, you can get from guys, those are really the pieces of the equation that, that you have a really good handle on what you can expect from him. And I think reasonable to expect, yeah, maybe the rebounding rates drop a little bit just in a more expanded role. But in general, I think those things are good. So the question that then comes up, and this was, you know, some of the, I think Patrick had had a question, and this is just a, a general one around offense, but I think that's the question of, can you expect, should you expect more from him offensively in an expanded role? Patrick's question was, does Archie turn race loose from the top of the key this year? Shot was wide open for him all year, and he could hit it in high school. Uh, somebody had posted a, a YouTube video of a couple uh, threes that race hit in a late game situation uh, from around that spot. So... That really becomes the next question. He was three of ten from three uh, last year. Um, has shown some ability to hit it, but not consistently. So, so Ryan, I'll, I'll give this one to you first. I mean, what what do you think is reasonable to expect from him? From a let let's do the the kind of long distance shooting. Can he become more of a stretch four? Uh, or in some ways, do they need Trace to be able to step out a little bit more and let Race be the one that plays inside? 
Well, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. It'd be great if both of them could do it. Uh, but no. It, After the last re- few years, we can't expect multiple players to make large jumps from shooting. Right? We can it's, only pick I, one. That's the that's. I'm the dreaming. I'm dreaming. <laughs> uh, I will say between the two, Race has done it before. If you look at his high school film, and somebody showed that that video today, and it was like, yeah, you watch his high school tape. He, he can do it. And it wasn't always a three, but he would shoot long twos. He would shoot mid-range shots. And was comfortable there. And sometimes you get on a college campus, you work out a lot, and it changes the mechanics of your shot because you're a lot stronger. And, you know, maybe it's just not – you need to work on it. You need to continue to develop your shot as you get stronger. Your legs get stronger. You might be able to jump a little higher. It might change the timing a little. But you need to continue to work on that. And obviously he's had injuries that have, that have held him from that. Same with, you know, Jerome Hunter, who was a very good shooter in high school. You know, injuries derail things. And, and so – he certainly is capable of making long range shots and the, his form on his shot is fine. He, he twists a little when he shoots, like, you know, see his, his right, as he follows through his right shoulder, will sort of turn his body. Um, that's really the only negative I have about it, but you know, some guys do shoot that way. I mean, that they are successful that way. I don't think it's ideal, but uh, I think he could certainly become a decent three point shooter. I don't think he's going to be 40%, 40 plus percent or anything like that, but if he could step on the floor and hit 30 to 35% of his threes and be a threat from out there. I mean, that changes Indiana's offense completely and it opens things up for Trace Jackson Davis inside, especially if you want to put those two on the floor together. And we have been screaming about getting those two guys on the floor together since last fall. And you started to see it towards the end of the season. They play really well together. They're both two excellent athletic defenders. They both block shots, a lot of shots. And I think the crazy thing about Trace Jackson Davis that people don't, or I mean about Race Thompson that people don't realize is how many steals he got last year in limited time. And you mentioned he was, he had the best steal rate on the team, but there were games where he would have uh, like against Iowa, he had four steals and, and against, you know, he was, he was, he would get his hand in passing lanes. He would take the ball away from people. He, he's, he's a guy who is an aggressive defender and he's aggressive defensively without fouling too. So all of those things combined can make him a versatile player. And I agree that the shot is part of that is being able to step out on the floor and he can handle the ball a little and make passes on the perimeter and you feel comfortable with him out there. So I, I really think if he can start knocking down some shots, he really becomes a more complete stretch forward, as you said. Yeah, I think it's very important too for for Coach Miller if he is capable to turn them loose. Uh, I remember uh, the Illinois game; they were not guarding him at all, not even close, not even closing out. He was he had 15 feet available, and it looked like the game plan was, "Hey, race, don't shoot this. We're going to be more patient and work it inside." And sometimes players can take coaching to an extreme as well, where here's the game plan: our post players are going to work from post to post, and we're not going to shoot threes. He's he's got to have the a little bit of the green light to be a stretch four because I think his form is okay uh, to 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 shoot and if he hits thirty percent and takes you know twenty to thirty shots I think that's going to stretch the floor a little bit and and he's going to play that four spot I think that's where he's best I think TJD and Joey posting up are are better options right now uh, and and so I think he can shoot his form looks good. It, he just needs to understand whether it's him or the coach or whoever. Get on the same page there with how many, you know. It's like Jerome Hunter never passes up a three. Uh, and he's a good <laughs> shooter, right? Uh, and I'm not advocating that for race, but 
um, it's not a situation. He needs to look more. He doesn't. He didn't look incredibly comfortable sometimes at the top right. of the key when he get the ball. Almost like he's thinking, should I shoot it or no? Right. It's got to be a natural. It's just got to be catch a, it if, knowing you're going to go. Yeah. If no one's coming out on you, uh, you got to catch. And if you're wide open, let it fly. And and this is interesting too that that I've learned here in the last few years with with our program too is you could overteach shot selection. Uh, you need to have multiple guys who can shoot because the teams will scout you and game plan you if you could coach your way into a defense for the opponent simply by saying, Race Thompson's never going to shoot. We're going to double team Trace and, and take things away. So sometimes even a missed shot uh, or the threat of a shot uh, is good. And I think his athleticism, you know, he averaged, what, three and a half points per game. He can get to eight easily Easy. with two putbacks a half, a transition – uh, maybe, you know, and, and maybe a back cut or something like that. Th- and, that's four baskets just from hustle and, and using his athleticism to get out and go. And, so and that's late, where the offense is going to come from for race, I think. And late last year, you saw him get more comfortable posting up as well. You yeah. know, when Trace was off the floor, you could see him back to the basket, even have a hook. And even if it didn't go in, it was a good sign. And a couple of times, you know, he had a little hook that rimmed out or whatever. But it, just the comfort level being able to do that, adds to the comfort level elsewhere. He knows he can do it. And once you get into a into a guy's mind who has the ability that Ray says, you get into their mind that, oh, I can do this, and they start taking it to the next level. It's like once Jerome Hunter started hitting some shots, then you saw him drive a little. Then you saw him you know, do other things. So it's having a little bit of success for a guy who hasn't done it for a long period of time really helps build the rest of his game as well. As Jerome Hunter started making shots, you started seeing him play defense better. It just plugs you into the whole game. And and as Ray started having success defensively, he started playing a little smarter and a little better offensively. And you saw those numbers tick up. So it's all kind of interconnected. I know we talk offensively and defensively separately, but a lot of times those things feed each other. And the post and the perimeter can feed each other. If you get good at one, you start to feel confidence about the other. So for him, it's really going to be about finding a way to just get going and getting locked in. And of course, just get shots up all summer. You know, he's healthy. You should get be getting shots up all summer. Using that athleticism offensively, he are, he's already doing it defensively in, in my mind, but use that athleticism, whether it's on the break, whatever, uh, to, to increase his production there would, would really be great for, for the uh, offensive output. Yeah, I think when you look at some of the numbers from an offensive standpoint, it backs up a lot of what you said, Coach. And I think it's one of those where everybody wants to see him step out and be able to make threes. But I think you, he does need to be a threat, but the numbers kind of show what he was really effective at. And I think in a complementary role, I'm not sure how much of those things change. So if you look in synergy, his best – uh, most effective offenses were being the role man in a pick and roll scenario where he was in the 94th percentile in transition where he was in the 83rd percentile and then on putbacks where he was in the 73rd percentile. I think coach, you touched on at least a couple of those of these are some easy ways to get buckets and just be in the right spot. I think the rebounding numbers would suggest the putbacks are almost a given uh, with what he had, what, where he wasn't effective was post-ups. And I, I was a little bit surprised to see this and now granted it's 20 possessions that they charted as, post up so it's not a huge sample size but I, I did feel like he became more comfortable in that scenario but he ranked in the 12th percentile in post ups um, and then if you just look raw shooting percentages uh, on, on on twos he was 34 of 70 on the year so just under 50% as Big Ten play hit he was only 21 of 50 so 42% on twos there and then against tier A competition uh, the way that uh, that Ken Palm defines those, he was 11 of 27 on two. So the numbers there 
are are not great. Um, but I also think they're suggestive of a guy who, no matter what happens, he's not going to be, you know, the first or second option on the floor to shoot anyway. Probably not even the third. Um, so in that regard, I don't know that those are concerning. I think some of that is experience and he got more experience last year. Hopefully you see him finish a little bit better around the basket on his twos, uh, and and some of those kinds of things. He did show a knack to get fouled, had a high free throw rate, um, made just 66% from the line, but did a good job of getting there. So I think there are some pieces there offensively. I think it's in some ways, if you want to go through and try to find the idealized version of this team, then you're like, yeah, he starts to be able to step out and knock down threes consistently. I don't know that that's 100% necessary, that if he continues to build on the strengths that he had offensively last year, that can be enough to get him up into that eight-point-a-game range and eight rebounds. And I think you're super happy with that as a as a complimentary guy who doesn't need the ball in his hands to really make things happen a lot and and can just be um, that complimentary piece. So I, I think that that is how I see it, and kind of the statistics bear that out. And the stats, the stats are nice because they show what he needs to work on. But it, he also was the fourth post-up option on Indiana last year. You had Davis in there too. You had Joey Brunk getting a lot of post moves, um, and and he really didn't get a lot of possessions in any of these synergy stats. Absolutely not. But 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 his athleticism was where he shined. The pick and roll on the move, transition, the put back, hustle plays. That's where a role player can get points. He has to get better at post-ups and the spot up. But I believe he can do that. Sometimes stats don't show that he can't do it, so you go away from him. It's just he's going to be needed to need to do that, and that's where the improvement needs to come. I believe he can hit three-pointers. His spot-up synergy numbers should be better. And I believe he showed at the end of the year he was able to make some post moves uh, at the beginning of the year. So I think those numbers will just automatically go up, and if he gets a good offseason in, those numbers, those synergy numbers of, of points per possession will go up because he's going to be more – uh, part of the scheme as opposed to, you know, being the third, fourth post player in just trying to get some minutes and, and do what he does uh, athletically. Yeah. And if you look at last year, two of his best games were in the winning, the win over 21st ranked Iowa, where he had 10 points, four rebounds, but he had four steals, two blocks, you know, uh, and was all over the floor in, tw- in 24 minutes, which I think was a season high at that time in minutes for him. And then at Minnesota, where he had nine points, 10 rebounds, a block, a steal, he was all over the floor in that game, and they beat, they won at the barn. Um, and then some of the other games, I mean, he, he was the only guy who played well against Purdue at Mackey. Uh, he had uh, six points, eight rebounds, two blocks, two steals. I mean, he was the only one playing with any energy in that game. And then uh, in the Wisconsin game uh, at the end of the year at home, where they should, Indiana should have won that game. There's no reason to, you go back and watch that. There's no reason they should have lost that game. He had seven points and eleven rebounds. So he was a guy who stepped up and helping actually helped Indiana, you know, stay in games and stay competitive, and in some cases win games. Uh, so I think that it, it's worth noting that when he plays well, Indiana's in a good position almost every time, and so getting him more minutes and getting him to play that 20 to 25 minutes that he played sort of down the stretch last season is in, is critically important to Indiana moving forward because of how much he can do on a floor to help you defensively. And then as we see the offense blossom as well. And his improvement doesn't have to be great for his role. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be there and he can like double his points, get up to seven to eight easily. 
uh, and see those percentages where he was weaker last year, his field goal percentage and some of those things improve uh, enough to get eight points and, you know, six, seven rebounds a game and really be uh, a contributor. All right. So kind of to, to wrap things up with race, uh, you know, with Justin leaving, uh, I think even before that, there were questions about whether race would make his way into the starting lineup. We know Archie's been, um, you know, one to, to really stick with guys there. So, uh, Ryan, I'll throw this to you first. Do you think he's starting to begin the season? Uh, and do you think he's starting to end the season? I, I, I would say starting to end the season. I don't know about the beginning. Uh, we'll see. I mean, so much is up in the air because of the coronavirus. I think some guys are going to come back and be much improved. Some guys are going to come back and be sort of where they were and need to work on some stuff. So it's going to depend. I, I think by the end of the year, he's going to be an invaluable player for Indiana. Although I, I, you know, who knows if they're, it depends on what they decide to do. If they want to go with more of a wing at that four spot, like a hunter, or if they want to go with a a true four, Uh, we'll see. But I think he's going to be playing a lot of minutes from the jump regardless. I think um, for me, race is a starter, but sometimes you, you just don't start there's other reasons, you know, a Joey Brunk come in might've changed the program with his attitude and effort and you roll with the starting lineup. I, I may disagree with that, but you got to honor that each coach has their own philosophy and you might want to play TJD a little bit at the four. If he comes back and can hit a 15 footer, can pick and pop to the 15, 16 foot range and hit a, a jumper, he could play some four. And so you have those guys on a, on a rotation, but I just, I'm a big fan of race. And I think you got to put your athletic people out there and your studs out there. And, and I don't mean any disrespect to Joey. I think Joey's going to get 20 minutes a game, but I thought Indiana played better when he was anywhere from 14 to 20, as opposed to getting over 20 and race got a few more of those minutes. And Deron Davis got a few more of those minutes. Joey does a lot of good Joey things, but he, but I think race is a better uh, player o- overall um, he fits better too. Let's be he, yes, honest. Yes, with 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 you know, uh, watching. I went back and watched some of the Dayton's uh, stuff in Archie Miller at clinics, and they run four to the to the three point line on breaks, and then one one post player either drag screening or or rim running. Uh, and at times, I went back and watched Indiana. We're running two posts. Uh, because that's where the strength was, but maybe they get back to a little bit more of that spread, and you can run race um, out a little bit wider uh, on a break. So I think he should start, uh, but sometimes you you know uh, I, I I guess I would agree with Ryan. I think by the end of the year maybe he is starting, but he's going to get good run regardless of of whether he starts or not. Yeah, I think that's true. I I think that given the way Archie's played it in the past, it seems potentially unlikely that 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 he'd be there to start the season but I think he's going to be on the floor a lot at the end of games uh and that may be enough to get him into a starting spot by the time the uh by the time the season's over but uh time time will tell on that but certainly a guy that we're excited about as we look forward to next season so coming up on our third segment we'll answer your questions including one for Ryan about uh, sports journalism and another from Jared uh who put in a question uh, in his own absence so we'll be back with those here on the assembly call stick with us This is James Blackman Jr. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Go Hoosiers! 
Thank you, James, and welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason, and after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's now time for our mailbag. All questions, as usual, were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, the first question was actually from from Jared. Uh, he uh, just still wanted to be part of the show, even though he wasn't here. So his question, how many players will average more than 12 points per game this season? Trace and dot, dot, dot. Coach, I'll throw that to you first. Uh Anybody else get over that mark? Is this a balanced team that you know has a bunch of guys in that middle range, or do you think somebody else joins Trace at over uh, twelve a game? Man, I, I'm I'm thinking down the roster, and I don't know that I see a twelve point scorer uh, on the lot. And then that starts to get me to worry about where the offensive points are coming from. But maybe it is going to be balanced. You would like to have a secondary score uh, and a secondary score that's consistent. I'm trying to. Uh, Look up how many did Devontae get last year? I don't know. Was he over twelve? Yeah, I'm pulling it up um, now. He and, is. Uh, he was at ten point eight. Yeah, he was, and he was second, correct? Yeah, um, he was second at ten point eight. Justin or, was third at ten ten four. Yeah. So I, I'm going to see the Indiana offense be a, a lot better, but it's still going to be spread out um, with potential. Uh, obviously, you know Hunter, if he really expands and can play major minutes and make that jump, uh, his ability to you know hit some threes, which gets points built up, uh, he would be a candidate for that, um, and maybe a guard. Um, you know, I, I don't see Rob doing it. Maybe Xander, but he's got a long way to go as as a young guy too. So I'd say two at the most. If you get three, we're really having great post game shows. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm saying it's going to be Al Durham. He's going to get over twelve points this year. He was playing really well at the end of last year. He got nine point eight last year anyway, which surprises me. I didn't think. But the also thing, the thing is, he he hits his free throws too. I think he's going to see the line a lot more as a senior. So, uh, I would I would guess that's who it's going to be of the current roster guys. I, we don't know what we're going to see from Christian Lander, how good he's going to be when he hits campus. Because again, reclassifying sort of changes the calculus for especially for a point guard. So we'll see. Um, I don't think Rob's going to get there. I think Rob will score more, but I don't think he'll, then his 7.3 from last year, but I don't think he'll get over 12. So I would, I would pick trace and I think trace's number is going to go up considerably. He was at 13 and a half last year. I think he's going to be around 15. And so that leaves fewer points for everybody else. Assuming he, you know, might score some more, but I think there's also a deeper team there to score. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you, Ryan. I think if anybody else does, it's, it would be Al. Um, and I think, really regardless of that you're going to have a number of guys in that eight to ten point range where we we talked about race as a potential eight point guy i think that's reasonable for rob i think that's reasonable for jerome in an expanded role uh lander's the the wild card a little bit of of how quickly he's able to come along but then you throw al in that mix so i i I don't know i kind of went through the the range of thoughts that you did coach of boy i don't really know and is that is that a bad thing? But I think there's a little bit of the roster balance that that been hoping for 
uh, over some of these recent seasons. So I, I, I'll say if anybody does it besides Trace, it's going to be Al. Um, but I think he'd probably be pretty close to it, um, depending upon that. Uh, I'm sure we can go back to doing our Al Durham player preview, and I probably said he wasn't going to get to 12 points. So I'm just covering myself on the, uh, all around here. Uh, so Ryan, we got this question that was, uh, it was directed at, at you. Um, it came from James. What do you think the long-term future looks like for sports journalism, particularly for college basketball, given recent events at, at the athletic and other places? You're talking on mute. Sorry, future of mute. future I, of sports actually, journalism is bleak when we don't, bleak. when we don't unmute no, ourselves. First thing I said was well, <laughs> and then I was like, Oh, I'm muted. So, uh, no, I, I think that it's really tough to say a lot of us don't know. And, and a lot of people involved in the business are kind of, you know, we, we don't know the athletic has a, a subscription based model, which is interesting. And it's sort of a new thing to try, uh, and had been doing really well, but we don't know the numbers there because they don't release them publicly, but sort of had been doing well. And, and obviously, you know, the pandemic crushed a lot of this business and made it really difficult because it dried up advertising and there was no sports to advertise during and no big tent events to sort of build up your coverage around. It's been a struggle. I mean, day to day, we're trying to find things to write about and, and it's, it's a struggle. It's getting a little bit better now as we have some more sports news and stuff. But it really is going to be interesting. Does somebody, you know, one of the issues is when things went to the internet, nobody knew how to market on the internet. Nobody knows how to make money on the internet. You know, it's advertisers aren't paying as much for ads as they did when it was a newspaper based um, system. Uh, What I would tell people is if you like good sports journalism, support your local paper, subscribe to it. Um, That's definitely a great start so they can build out their newsrooms. I mean, the more subscribers they have, the more money they're going to spend on their product. Uh, and I would say subscribe to things like The Athletic or any other subscription services if you want to see better coverage. The more money you put into it, the more money they can put into their coverage. And that's the way it works. Also, visit a lot of sites during the day. Click on articles. Read them. Um, because obviously, the more traffic they get, the more they can expand. So that's what I would say if you're a fan of sports journalism is, is interact with it and make sure you're, you're going out and, and actually involving yourself in the content. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it's just interesting. The Athletic had grown so fast, and I'm going to start this and probably not be able to finish this thought. It had such great coverage for so many teams. When all of that just goes away yeah. so quickly, I think it's hard to read a ton into it just because so many things happen that are out of the ordinary that I don't know what uh, what conclusions we can really jump to, but that's coming from more of an, an outsider's perspective. But uh, Pretty on. Either way, uh, that will uh, that will do it for the show uh, tonight, and we appreciate everybody being here. Uh, if you would, uh, if you wanted to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to six six eight six six to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music you hear on the show, and thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Till then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. 
The Mega Millions jackpot is over 250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.